Hey, good evening, Rockbridge, and welcome to anywhere that you're watching us, whether that's online, Rockbridge PM, or any of our six locations. We are so glad that uh, you're here. My name is Matt. We're in the middle of a series called A Better Way. Just a quick catch-up. We all have a way of talking, a way of thinking, a way of viewing things, and we've kind of realized that maybe we're all hungry for a, a different way, a, a better way, because maybe our way isn't working or our, our way isn't resolved resulting in what we thought it would, would uh, bring about. And so we, we started part one with this question, and we said, hey, what is the way that Jesus would? What is the way Jesus would? And we said, hey, we can literally lay that question over any decision, any viewpoint, any attitude we have, and just allow what God has revealed to us through his son, through his word, to speak to us. And so, hey, last week, just as a reminder, last week we did what is the way Jesus would talk and what is the way Jesus would communicate. And uh, we wanted to open up maybe um, some better avenues for communication than what many of us may have uh, fallen for or chosen or gone with in this highly technical age. And so we started something last week that we're just going to keep going, and it's called Monday Meetups, all six of our locations. We've got uh, just pastors that are going to be available. So in Dalton, you're at Casa del Cafe. That's Monday 7 to 9 a.m. That's this coming Monday. In Calhoun, you're at the Calhoun Coffee Company starting at 10 a.m. Up in Hickson, Sourdough Cup of Joe. That's one of my favorite names. You're at noon. Uh, in Ringgold, we got Mean Mug. That's pretty good, too, though. At 8.30 a.m. In Chatsworth, you're at the Starbucks. It's located in Ingalls at 9.30. And then in Cleveland, Bond Life Coffee starting at 9 a.m. If you need prayer, if you just need to talk, if you want to bring up a subject, your pastors are available. They had a great time doing that. Uh, one pastor even just started taking live prayer requests over Facebook. It was incredible. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> it was awesome. And then I want to invite all Rockbridgers to come to First Wednesday in October, which is next Wednesday. I tell you that is the most important service of the month. I tell you this is the most important service of the year. We're going to have a really important conversation as a church. Uh, so much has happened. So much information is out there. A lot of people are seeking clarity. A lot of people are confused. A lot of people want to know, hey, what does Rockbridge stand for? How is Rockbridge navigating forward in the midst of all this stuff? And so we're going to clarify that. And I just want to invite every Rockbridger, make it a priority, engage online, or be at one of our six locations. After First Wednesday, I will do a live Q&A. I'll go live around 8 p.m. You can go ahead and email any question you have. If I don't get to it, I'll get back in touch with you. But you you can text your questions, 888-744-0761, or you can email question at rockbridgecc. So we'll be on Facebook, we'll be on YouTube, or online uh, at our Rockbridge broadcast location. So that is coming up all in a few days from now at First Wednesday. And so today, though, we're going to join uh, jump back into Better Way. And, and to sort of introduce this, let me ask you this question. You can raise your hand, you can chime in on the chat. When I say this, this phrase, raise your hand if, I'm, what I'm, if you know what I'm talking about. Those people. Yeah, exactly, right? I mean, everybody has a those. You might even be somebody's those people, right? But everybody has a those people, right? Or, or, or them or those guys. It's the people that are different from you, see it differently than you, or are difficult in their interactions with you, right? That is those people. And has there ever been? I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. Some of you have lived longer than me, but I have never seen 
as much us versus them as I have seen in our families, in our church, in our churches, in our communities, and in our country. And, 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 and we can go down, should you get a vaccination? Should you not? Should you wear a mask? Should you not? Did you vote for him or did you not? How are you looking at this? And if you're looking at it differently than me, then you're those people, right? I mean, I have never seen it so prevalent. I've never seen it so powerful. I've never seen so people so entrenched that they don't even hear what each other are speaking or what each other are saying. And so I, I think we just ought to ask this question then because this question can literally apply to everything. What is the way Jesus would treat those people? What is the way Jesus would treat difficult people? And, and you know, when I was thinking about this, I, I, I was just you know, brainstorming, praying, thinking about my own sinfulness and what, what we typically do, what's ordinary for those people or, that, or them or people different than you who see it differently than you, who think about it differently than you. What's typical is we have anger at, we have avoidance of, and we have an attitude towards, right? That we, we get angry at those people because of what they said or what they do or what they stand for, or what they won't do. We want to avoid those people at all costs. And increasingly, you are seeing in this country and you're seeing in churches where people are just starting to congregate, hang out, interact, and join each other on, on social media with people just like them. And I'm not sure that's a good trend for the gospel. I'm not sure it's a good look for the church that Jesus founded, but that is something that's sort of typical. And then we develop an attitude towards those people. And, and so just to sort of illustrate that, uh, let's just kind of think, you know, you've got group, a group of people that are sort of like you. Maybe they do it the way you do it. They see it the way you see it. They vote the way you vote. Uh, they they uh, think about it the way you think about it. They share your values. I mean, we, this can be in, those people. Some, in our history, unfortunately, it's been those people of that skin color. So this can go a thousand different ways. But we all know what it's like to, to want to be around people more like me and not to sort of deal with, want to deal with people less like me. And the attitudes that emerge in that are as follows. I'll share a few with you. I, you know, we could say this maybe. I am less comfortable with those people. I am less inclined to spend time with those people. <clears throat> I am less patient with those people. I give the benefit of the doubt more slowly to those people. I give less grace when mistakes are made by those people. I am less willing to help those people. I have less positive assumptions about those people. And then I believe things might be better without those people. And I think, and I, and I got this from a pastor in, in South Carolina, and, and I was reading it, I was reflecting, and I was like, God, maybe there's a better way than that. Because, you know, it, it's easy when you're out on social media or you're up on your political game or it's us versus them or it's vax versus no vax or mask versus no mask. It's real easy, isn't it, to start this, mm, right? It's just real easy, those people. But then when you put those, you know, eight, nine, ten things up, you're like, well, I, I, 
I read those, I was praying over those. I was praying before the, 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 the message. And I'm like, I'm not sure I want to be like that. And so I'm like, okay, God, maybe there's a better way. Maybe there's a better way. So let's be open today as disciples of Jesus. And disciples of Jesus, our, 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 one of our motivations is we want to do it his way, right? So let's look at what he said about handling some of those people. So, so we go into the Sermon on the Mount, which is his longest sermon, a beautiful, beautiful, incredible sermon. And, and, and we're going to be in a section where Jesus is going to make six statements that illustrate what he says here in Matthew 5.20. In 5.20, he says, hey, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about <clears throat> the kind of person we become as God's grace and love and gospel and Holy Spirit. Spirit, transform us into more citizens of Jesus's kingdom than citizens of this world or even citizens of our own nation that we were born into. And so he says, unless your righteousness is bigger and beyond the religious people of the day, then you're never going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he makes six statements. Now, it's interesting to me that the thing he starts with is one of the things that we're all carrying around with us. I've never seen it like this, but I'm the same as you. We're all carrying around with us a supply of anger. And, and, and listen, I, I, I know. I, I mean, I've gotten home some days and Beth's looked at me and I thought I'm good and how I was talking to her. Talking, she's like, what is wrong with you? I got this supply of anger. And, and listen, I know. I mean, there's some people, we talk about what's going on. Maybe it's what's going on in your life, what's going on, what you're having to deal with at work, what's going on nationally, what's going on globally. And, and, and I think all of us are like, man, I, I, got, I think I got a reason to be angry. And I'm not saying we don't. But I am saying, based on the authority of the Word of God that I'm about to read in the next verse, there's a better way than anger. And I, and I, but I don't think we're not being encouraged to do that. Right? I, I think what's happened in society is like has said, hey, you have every right to be angry. You have every right to feel that way. You have every right to get hot. And yeah, you should be mad at those people. And then we bump into what Jesus said. And he says, hey, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. And this is a quote coming out of the Mosaic law or the Ten Commandments. And whoever murders will be subject to... <clears throat> to judgment. But he says, I tell you this, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And, and so what we have to do is be careful because anger has become normalized. I mean, media and social media with all their algorithms and logarithms, they appeal to your and my anger. They don't appeal to the truth. They appeal to an emotion that may or may not be based partially or not on truth. And so all of us are just sort of carrying around this latent degree of anger. And then when things don't go our way or things don't go the way we think they should go, the only way we know how to do it is to get angry at those people. And we're just saying, hey, maybe there's a better way. And so what Jesus does here, and Paul will back him up in Colossians 3.8, is he said, look, we got to take anger off the table when it comes to those people. Now, let's just stop, because again, I know, I know some of us are like, man, but, but those, I get it. But let me just say something. Does anger make anything better? 
I was really, I was racking my brain. I read that quote today from my, my guy, Dallas Willard, who's gone to be with the Lord, but man, his writings teach me so much about how Jesus changes your life. And I'm like, I, I can't really think any, maybe playing football, I don't know. Doesn't make marriage better. Doesn't make society better. Doesn't make church or small group better. So Jesus is like, well, let's just take anger off the table and then let's keep going the way we typically do it. Well, avoidance, okay, I won't get angry. I'll just avoid those people. The guy we supposedly follow as Christ followers, he was called a friend of sinners. He knew everything back and he still hung out with those people. And I'm like, okay. So, so maybe if we take avoidance and we take anger off the table because we're people following Jesus, then, then maybe we got to work on our attitude. And so how do we talk about form, reform, refine, unlearn, learn an attitude that's a better way for dealing with those people? And so let's journey with Jesus. We jump down to verse 43, Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5. Now, here's what he does, and he does something kind of brilliant. He says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, and this is a quote. We get this quote in, in the first five books of the Old Testament, what's called the Torah, the Mosaic Law. And then Jesus quotes something that is not in Scripture, but what seems to have happened is that the Pharisees of Jesus' day took the love your neighbor and added to it a hate your enemy. And so this was the message of the religious spirit of the day. See, there's danger when we twist the word of God and make it say what we want it to say, right? Because listen, wouldn't your life and my life just be easier if I ended the message and said, hey, love your neighbor, and yeah, you can get mad at those people. See you next week. Because that's what we're all doing. But is it helping us? So that's why we got to be open to a better way. So Jesus says, listen, I know you've been taught this. I know, you know, your neighbor. And then you know, we can all define our neighbor as those people that are like me, that see it my way, that agree with me in my position or agree with me in my politics or look like me with my skin color. Yeah, that makes it easy, right? And Jesus says, but you've heard that it was said, but he's going to kind of throw us the curveball. And here's what he says, but I tell you, love your enemies. That's a little more black and white saying of love, you're those people. And then he says, and hey, even better, I want you to pray for those people or those who persecute you. Recognizing that prayer is actually one of the highest forms of love you can give, right? Because probably, you know, if you're a mama, you're a dad, you don't, no, nobody prays more for your kids than you do or your spouse than you do, and it's an expression of your love. And so Jesus says, hey, I want us to love our enemies, and we want to pray for those who persecute you. And so you read that, and then he gets even further kind of up in our business or further stepping on our toes or challenges even more because he's, he's, he ties how we love those people and how we pray for those people. He ties it to something eternally significant. Listen to what he does. He says, I want you to love and pray for your enemies, love and pray for those people so that you may be children <coughs> of your father in heaven. So he says, listen, if you're having a hard time loving those people, 
we're not sure if you're related to the heavenly father or not. And he makes it a, a, a sign of or evidence of that we now have a relationship with God the father. In other words, if we're not loving and praying for those people, Jesus is like, we may not be known by the father. We, and let's put it in Bible Belt language, we may not be saved. And, and, and so it gets weighty, right? But, but here, here's the best way to understand it. And he's going to help us get there. So children biologically look oftentimes like their parents, right? So, you know, it's like we, we can, oh, man, he's a chip off the old block. Oh, God, you look just like your old man. I mean, we've all heard it. We've all said it. It's been said about us. You know, people look at me and they're like, oh, God, I thought I was looking at your dad. I'm like, oh, thanks. No, but I mean, we say that stuff, right? And so what Jesus is saying is, look, if you and I have been born again, the Spirit of God has come to live inside of us, we've been adopted by the Father, then the love that we give to those people is going to start looking like the love the Father has for those people. And that's a sign an evidence that we are related correctly and connected intimately to our Father who is in heaven. And so now Jesus says, let's start talking about the kind of love the Father has. So he says, for God the Father, he causes his Son to rise on the evil person, those people, and the good person. And he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. So God the Father has created a world. Theologically, we call this common grace. That's grace, undeserved, that all of us get or is available to all of us because we walk in God's creation. We're a part of God's planet. So he says, look, God does not discriminate on his providing providential and sovereign love as our Father and as our Creator. And then God has made saving grace available to who? For God so loved the world, and that includes those people, that he gave his only begotten Son, God the Father, so loved all of those people. And, and let me just, just kind of, Matt Evans is one of those people. Y'all are one of those people. Okay, and, and so, so not only did God send, send the rain on the evil and sun on the unrighteous, he sent his son, his S-O-N, son, because he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And you know what whoever means? That means those people that you and I have a hard time liking, loving, hanging out with, we're, we're angry at them, we want to avoid them, and we got an attitude toward them, God wants to save them. And he died to do it. So as easy as our society is making it to be mad, to faction ourselves off and divide ourselves along any number of issues or any number of things, that's not the way of Jesus. And so Jesus continues teaching back to Matthew 5. He says, listen. He says, listen, if you love those who love you, what reward you, what will you have? He says, don't even the tax collectors do the same? And tax collectors in, in first century Palestine, first century Israel, that's just a way of saying a really bad person. He says, don't they do the same? He goes, that's, that's normal. He goes, it's normal to love those who are like you 
and not love those who are not like you. It's normal to give preferential love and preferential treatment and positive assumptions and the benefit of the doubt to the people like you. That's normal. Everybody does that. And he goes, if you only greet your brothers and sisters, what are you doing? Here's the phrase, out of the ordinary. Don't even the Gentiles, those who are not God's covenant people, don't even the Gentiles do the same? He goes, that's all normal. Is the church founded by the guy who preached this? Is the church, is Rockbridge, are we normal? Is that our calling? Is that what we're like? Because what we need to see, and, and I'll highlight the phrase out of the ordinary, what we need to see is the way of Jesus is counter-cultural, and it's not normal or typical. It's not what we see in the halls of Congress. It's not for the majority what we read on social media. It's not what we're encouraged when we watch our news source. It's not what our flesh wants to do either. Our flesh likes and wants to get angry. And we're really good at finding reasons to get angry at. But we don't fight. And we don't live. And we don't love through our flesh. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, I appeal to you, and look what he says, how he describes Jesus, the meekness and gentleness. Meekness would be strength under control. Gentleness would be the kind, generous disposition that Christ has toward people. He says, for although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. So the church that Jesus founded, husbands and wives that are born again in Christ, Christians who are called to be in the business world, called to be in politics. We don't fight like everybody else. We don't love like everybody else. So what do we do, he says? He says, but the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. Now, do you know an attitude toward those people can be a stronghold? How you, whoever you're, those people are. Do you know we can have an attitude toward those people, an attitude of anger, an attitude of racism, an attitude of bitterness, an attitude of suspicion, an attitude of whatever. That is a stronghold. That's an area of our lives that the grace and truth of Christ, that the power of the Spirit of Christ is being held back from. And so Paul says, here's how we deal with that. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. So when I am mad at, angry at, 
fearful of those people. I have to recognize that is not of Christ. And I take that thought as it wants to become a stronghold and as it wants to come out of me, that I take that and I march it to Jesus Christ and I submit it to him. Jesus Christ who said, don't get angry. Jesus Christ who was a friend of sinners. Jesus Christ who came into the world to save those people. That's what we do. And then Jesus closes this this train of thought with a very challenging statement. And I'll unpack it so we get it. But he says, hey, after he's going through how to love, and you got to love your enemies, you got to love those people, and and that's that's countercultural. It's not ordinary. It's supernatural. And then he says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I mean, that that makes a lot of us want to throw up, quit, walk out. And what he's saying, let me just unpack and we'll get there. (coughs) He's saying this. He's saying, as your Father in heaven is perfect in love. All of us know what imperfect love's like. We've been hurt by it, let down by it, betrayed by it. All of us know that. He said, you've got to grow. We grow as we follow Jesus to become perfect in our capacity to love people. And so listen, Jesus defines maturity as a believer, as a church, as the people of God by how well we love, even and especially how we love those people. You see that? I mean, everybody that's like a church person, a Christian, we've got a definition of spiritual maturity. For, for many of us, I mean, they know the Bible. Do they love their enemies? Jesus says, I, Jesus is like, I mean, I, we got we to grow perfect in love, right? That's the sign that we're growing closer to the Father. Now, you see, what, what this is, is an implied invitation is, hey, let's elevate our purpose. If our purpose on this, lo- on this earth is endangered by difficult people who are different than us, then we got to raise our purpose a lot higher because Christ invites us to a purpose that's transcendent. Christ invites us to a purpose that those people don't threaten. Those people are an opportunity actually to live our purpose. But if my day is ruined by those people, the purpose of my day wasn't set high enough. If my life and my attitude and my positivity and my hope and my joy is taken away by somebody I don't agree with, I got to raise my purpose. God didn't put me here for that. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. For God so loved the world. We elevate our purpose. We elevate our purpose. Now, there's a a time in Jesus' life where he models this for us. And, and I, I, I either just, when I, when I read this passage, I either stand in awe or I want to cry. I, that, those are the two reactions. So uh, I, I don't know. When, when, I'm, when I'm humble and I'm teachable, when, I, when I'm not, it, I have no reaction. I'm just like, eh, right? But when I'm humble and I'm teachable, uh, then I'm either in awe or I weep. So here it is. Here's the story. Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas. He knows it. Satan's planned it. 
God's allowing it. It's going to, that's how he gets to the cross, so he can die for the world, for die for those people. So Judas is a betrayer. He's a, he's a liar. He's a crook. Uh, and and he's, he's a those purpose. He's a, he's a TP. He's those people, right? And so he comes to Jesus in the garden. And he goes up to Jesus and he says, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus calls him, this is where, this is where I stand in awe of Jesus, friend. Now, we know Jesus doesn't lie, and Jesus doesn't do sarcasm. How hard is that? You know what's in that guy's heart. You know he's there to sell you out. And he calls him friend. Man, Jesus is amazing, isn't he? He calls him friend. Why have you come? And then they came up and took hold of Jesus and arrested him. That's loving your enemy right there, right? When it's at the hardest moment of your life. Now, here's the challenge. And the, ch the challenge is given to us actually by an atheist. And I'm going to agree with the atheist, but then I'm going to try to complete it. This guy, Bertrand Russell, he says, the Christian principle of loving your enemies is good. There's nothing to be said against it, except it's too difficult for most of us to practice sincerely. And I think that's just kind of where the society we live in, maybe even the churches we're a part of, that's kind of where we are. We know, you know love is love, right? Except when they're those people. It's so funny. Everybody's saying love, I and mean, love is the way, and love is the answer. But nobody wants to say, you got to love those people. So how do we get past what this atheist has recognized? And here it is. This is so powerful, so important, church, so important. To love like God, we must first be loved by God. If I am going to love Beth with the love of the Father, I have got to first be loved by God. If I'm going to love the Judases in my life, I've got to know the love of the Father in my own life. And the way that love comes to us is through the gospel of what Jesus did for us, where we have awe over what Jesus has done, what he's done on the cross, which empowers us to do love his way, not the world's way, not the flesh's way, but to do love his way. So let's just stop for a minute, church. Let's stand in awe of what Jesus has done. Here's a beautiful passage, Romans 5. says, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, God made us right when we put our faith in his son. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Lived for us, died for us, died instead of us. So because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory and those people can't touch it. So we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. This hope will not lead to disappointment. 
For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us not only his son for us, his son instead of us, but his Holy Spirit to us. And what does his Holy Spirit to us do? Fills our heart with his love. Not my love, but his love. My love's broken. My love's fleshly. My love is easier given to people like me, but his love is not. So when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for us sinners, not for us religious people, not for people who know the Bible, but for sinners, which in God's language would be like saying he died for those people. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is specially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, rebels against a holy God. And when that love hits our heart, when that love is immersed in who we are, when that love defines who we are, when that love gives us a joy bigger than this world, then that love is going to come out of us and it's going to become increasingly over time the love we give to our kids, the love we give to our families, the love we give to, through our churches, the love we give to our communities, and it will become the love we we have to give for those people. Now, here's the challenge, though. And we'll talk about this in a future Better Way sermon, ser- or sermon. But sometimes we get hung up on, and I'll talk about this later, but I'm going to give a preview. Sometimes we get hung up on, but I'm right. And those people are wrong. And I hear you. And I've had conversations with some of you. So how do you love someone the way God did when he was always right? He'd never been wrong. Here's the answer. To love like God, we got to have more joy and gratitude in being forgiven than in assuming we're right. That hits our pride, doesn't it? Because pride says, I want to be right. Humility says, I need to be and I have been forgiven. The only way we'll grow in our ability to love those people is when we grow in our understanding of what it costs God to forgive us and we recognize that I need to have more joy and gratitude in being forgiven than in assuming I'm right because I'm often not as right as I think I am. So we look at a passage from a pastor, church planter, the Apostle Paul. And, when, and here's what's awesome about this passage, okay? And it has to do with this right here. When Paul writes this passage, he's a mature Christian. He's written most of the uh, books of the New Testament that he's going to write. So he's written, you know, a big portion of the Bible. This is probably the second to last or so book or letter that he wrote. And so he's mature 
And I want you to look at the language he uses to describe himself. He goes, this is a trustworthy saying, saying and deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the gospel. I'm in awe still to this day of what Jesus has done for me. Paul says it. And I am the worst of them. No, 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 Paul. You wrote half the Bible. You're like a perfect person. You're like the pastor. You're on the pedestal. You're like a spiritual person. You're like the Billy Graham of the first century. Paul's like, that's not how I see myself. I see myself as forgiven. And, And there's nobody that sinned more than me. Nobody. And and we're like, no, 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 no. And we go back and wanting to rate people and rank people. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. I'm not in awe because I'm writing the Bible. I'm not in awe because I'm an apostle. He goes, I've received mercy. So that in me, he repeats himself. The worst of them. The worst of who? Sinners. Who are sinners? They're those people to God. Christ might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. See, I'll tell you a secret. You want to have a better marriage than you do today? I'm talking individually to spouses. You need to see yourself as the chief sinner, worst sinner in your marriage. Because immediately, humility comes to fruition. And immediately, pride, self-righteousness, and anger gets diminished. You and I want to have a better witness to the world. Do you think we're going to reach more people for Jesus Christ by being angry at them and avoiding them? And our calling, church, oh, by the way, is not to get angry and avoid. Our calling is to preach the gospel, the gospel of for God so loved those people that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life but we got to remind ourselves i once was lost too and god's love found me and this isn't a one and done so to keep loving like god church we have to keep ourselves in his love to keep loving like god It's not, oh, I've heard the gospel when I was eight. I prayed to receive Christ, and I'm good. You never graduate from the gospel. I need fresh feelings of the love of Jesus in my heart, in my soul, in my mind. I need it daily because what happens if I cut myself off from the gospel because I quit reading scripture, I quit singing, I quit church, I get consumed with the world, then I stop loving people in my life like Jesus. And that's why my marriage gets dull, my parenting gets harsh, my witness gets hypocritical. And this is why Paul prayed for his churches like this. He said, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him and your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. You know one thing you and I will spend, if you go to heaven because you're born again, do you know what you'll spend heaven doing? 
and a new heaven, new earth doing. Part of it you're going to spend enjoying and growing to understand God's love fully. You'll never know it completely. It'll be that great and that amazing. So moving forward, <coughs> I, want you, I want to do two exercises and then we'll close. First exercise is this. I want you right now to, in your mind, in your spirit, you can write it down, you can share it with somebody later. Who, is a those per, who are those people to you? Maybe it's one, maybe it's a group of. Who are those people to you? And then as, as, as those people are front of mind, here's what we need to do. First thing is get our eyes off them and get our eyes onto him as seen in the gospel. Eyes off them, eyes onto him. In particular, let's put him on the cross. And then we confess right now. Let's confess right now. I put Jesus there every bit as much as those people have and have and, and done. And I confess right now, and let's do it in our hearts. God, I want to confess right now, Matt Evans, I'm the worst of them too. I'm the worst of them. And then we need to take one step toward your them, toward your those people with the love of him who loved you. And for some of us, that may mean quit avoiding. For some of us, that may mean letting go of anger. For some of us, that means we need to make the apology and ask for forgiveness. But let's take one step toward those people. Now, the second exercise I want to invite you to do is this. I want you and I to imagine that we stand before God. And he's holy and we're not. So we're Judas before Jesus. There's not a single person listening to me, including me, listening to myself, that has not betrayed Jesus Christ, has not rebelled against the laws of God, has not fallen short of our created purpose. Not a single person. There's nobody listening to me that's good enough, righteous enough, holy enough. We're those people to a holy God. But church, listen to me. That same God that looked at Judas and called him friend looks at us right now and calls us friend because he wants you and I to know God as our father. And if you do not know God as your father, and today you want to become a son or a daughter, then would you look to him on the cross? He's there for you. He's there instead of you. And he's loving you in the most profound, steadfast, unconditional, and eternal way possible. And would you receive him as your king, your Lord, and your savior right now? And would you be filled with the love of Christ right now? And then let's go be true sons and true daughters of the Father who loved us while we were still sinners. Let's pray together. God, I want to pray that people right now become Christians, followers of you, sons and daughters. Holy Spirit, that's your work, not mine. But God, if you can use these words of Scripture, these words of the gospel, and bring faith to fruition in hearts and minds in life after life, then glory to you, God. And we thank you, God, that your love can never be quenched and can never be silenced and can never be stopped. God, we want to pray forgiveness 
that our witness as a church has not borne has not borne the fruit of your sons and your daughters, that our love has looked more like the world's and less like yours. Lord God, please forgive us. And God, please fill us afresh with your love because to love like you, we have to first be loved by you. So God, through your Holy Spirit, through the preaching of your gospel, would you love your people this weekend, all throughout Rockbridge Community Church. And this we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.